Good morning. My name is Adam. Chris had introduced me. I'm a pastor here at Bethany. Uh, I'm looking forward. This morning is the last one. You've got to watch that video. I know you've been here all five weeks, and that video is getting really old. If you're brand new to it, you probably chuckled a little. Uh, but we've been talking about uh, sex, singleness, uh, divorce, remarriage, uh, marriage, and uh, kind of what makes for a successful home. We're going to wrap that series up this morning. I've been working through 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I'm excited. I think we're going to end with an exclamation point this morning, a chance for you, for me, for all of us just to kind of say, you know what, what am I committed to in life is really what this morning's about. Before I do that, I want to mention a couple things, just a way of reminder. Uh, first thing, an email went out on Friday. If you're on our church email list, that we have a family meeting uh, that is taking place following second service, about 12 o'clock-ish, shouldn't be long. People say, how long is it going to be? I, I don't know, best case scenario, 10 minutes, worst case, probably 20 minutes, um, here in this room, so just want to mention that. If you consider Bethany home, we'd welcome you to join us. And people have said, How can my kids come? What's the nature? Is it sensitive material? Uh, your kids can be here. Yes, Mark, I'd encourage your kids to come, see uh, kind of how church life and church family works and functions. Uh, so that's the other thing I want to mention. Some other things kind of happening is um, I want to plug our men's class that is uh, Tom Martin is stepping into and kicking off uh, starting. Tom, I'm sorry, is it today? It starts today. Uh, in room 208. Is that the number? It's the, go down here, hang a left to the hall. Um, we have a CR, Celebrate Recovery, has um, stepped in. It's done a phenomenal, for those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And CR is built on this premise. It's built on a lot of premises. But one of the things is they, they draw into group and relationship and openness. Um, and they work through a, a number of just basic principles. We aren't here to teach and challenge, but to be with one another. Um, the women's class just went through the material that CR is built on. The men's class is now stepping into that. And I'm encouraged if you are, man, if you're a man, uh, step into the class. Try it out today. It happens during second service. We had to move the classes around. What I want to say is um, we moved the classes around because our student ministry has outgrown their space on Sunday morning. So we had to, we're breaking probably some weeks numbers of 50 plus um, I finally got a picture from one of, I don't know where it came from, but it, uh, someone took a picture of the kids sitting on the floor because the room was so packed tight they couldn't even set chairs up. And I'm like, guys, we got to do something. Um, so we scrambled and moved the kids, the students, and the room underneath us. So they've got a larger space. Uh, and so, again, the adult classes have shuffled around. So open up your bulletin there. There's some information there on where they're all found. So just want to um, mention that. Final thing I'll mention is in your bulletin this morning, you um, should have, you should see there, an invite for our Christmas series, that starts next week. Uh, it's titled With, uh, really God with us. That's what Christmas is all about. And we're just going to kind of talk about what does it mean that God is with us? How is God relevant to us? And is he relevant to the world? Does he, does he really make a difference in our life and in their life? And how does he? And then we're going to talk about Jesus, and, and then we're going to kind of talk about the church. Well, how, what's the implication for the church? And for those of us that say we're Christ followers, and how about for the world around us that would say we're not Christ followers? Um, so again, we're gonna, that's kind of a great series to invite someone with. So there's invite there, and there's more invites if you want them out in the uh, foyer. Now, with that said, um, this morning, let's jump into this morning. I want to do that, um, if you'll allow me. If, if you engage, uh, I think, some realities of life right now where you sit, I think this morning will mean a lot more to you. What I hear a lot from those of you that I walk with and interact with, I hear this as I... 
as I travel on social media, read blogs, or I hear this uh, on the nightly news. I hear this. Um, I hear this as I catch YouTube videos. As I hear other pastors preach. I hear this as I as I interact with my wife and the and the other uh, those her circle of friends, my circle of friends, other pastors. What I hear often about life is the way people describe life today is with words like we are overwhelmed. We are so busy. I hear words like, man, the pressures of life, the tyranny, the urgent, how am I going to get it all done? And there's this, this constant rat race that we feel that we're in and this constant movement. If you just think about your last week, just kind of step back in your last week, think about your coming week. Uh, what I find is, and I have got a tree of hats here because I find we all are called upon to wear various hats in life. So I think about my past week and I met with the team uh, when I sat down on Monday to meet with a team to, to kind of begin talking about how to illustrate this morning's message. And they said to me, Adam, I kind of stepped into them and I said, guys, listen, um, we meet at 4 o'clock and I had only come into the office late because I'd taken a half day. And uh, the reason I took a half day was because, you know, my, my Thanksgiving holiday and the pressure and some of the running of that had, had left me. And I shared it in last week's message. Some things came out of Thanksgiving in my family that left a lot of weight on me. So I'm kind of wearing this responsibility as a son in my family. Uh, then I step out and I begin to watch my family. So now I'm a father to my kids and I'm beginning to look at that. And I'm a husband to my wife and I feel the pressure of that. So you know what? I need to I miss them at some, so I just want to make sure to take today and moving around, and Tanya had a jewelry show and a lot going on, so let me just take a half day here and um, really just breathe and try and get to sleep in a little. I wanted to have breakfast with the kids and come on in. So the reality is, though, those of you who do that make those choices, until I get into the office, what's the pressure then that's kicking around there is now, oh my goodness, I took some time off, so now the to-do list here isn't getting done, and that list is backing up. And then on top of that, when I got into the office, I took a phone call that radically alter- ended up altering my week in a big way. Uh, and so till I sit down with this team at 4 o'clock, I had to look at them in the eyes, and normally by 2 o'clock on a Monday, I'm diving into deep study to help really get into this message. So by the time I sit down with that team, we have something to really interact with in a meaningful way that we can talk then how to illustrate. So I sit down with that team and I just say to them, guys, <laughs> I'm really sorry. I am not prepared at all for this meeting. And so the more we talked and the more we get interacted, they said, Adam, just say that. Because I think people relate to that. I think we get that. See, we all live with life as various hats. I mean, here's my, probably, I put it front and center there. Can you all <laughs> see that hat? But I think about the illustration, should I wear it? Will you guys like that? What do you think? <laughs> They're awful this year, so I can't be too proud. Um, <laughs> my wife said this year. I think I heard it. Was that you? Well, this year. <laughs> They're awful every year. <laughs> but anyways, I think about this illustration. I have this here. And if you think about the hats that you wear in life, and when I say hats, think about the different various responsibilities. So some of you wear a hat as a student, whether it's a high school student or college student. Some of you wear a hat as a son or a daughter, and these hats are all different. And each hat that you put on requires something else from you, something different. Some of you wear hats as a mom or a dad. Some of you wear, I wear a hat as a pastor. Some of you wear hats as a carpenter. Some of you wear a hat as a nurse. We wear hats in our careers. You wear a volunteer hat, maybe. Kelly was 
up here talking about children's ministry. Some of you volunteer in that ministry. You have a volunteer hat. Some of you step in with foster care. Some of you step into the community. Some of you, and, and you begin to look at all after a while. The longer you live in life, it seems like the more hats we wear. Sometimes you have to wear two hats at one time. Sometimes you have to wear three hats. But the reality of what I've learned is you start looking at life and the way life spins and the way life works. Before long, these hats and these responsibilities begin to collide with one another. So my calling as a son in my family system with my mom and my dad will at times call on me to do some things and and to step into some ways that's going to detract and pull away from my calling as a husband or a father in my own family. And we're going to feel this pull and this tug and and this, well, what hat am I wearing now and what hat should I be wearing? Now, what I've learned about life as I think about this and as these hats collide, what we're going to talk about this morning, Paul steps in. He says, you know what? You can't always uncomplicate your life. I think many of us would love to do that. Let's just simplify this thing. But it can't be done. Do you know how cool it would be to just have to focus on one thing? I mean, if all as I had to do in life was wear the hat of preaching a sermon, if that's all I had to do in life, if that's all I had to do as a pastor, if that's all I had to do, if that's all, the only calling I had in life was to stand up here for 40 minutes and deliver a message. You know how amazing that message would be week in and week out? I mean, you guys would say, forget the movies. We're going to church. I mean, this is going to be unbelievable. But as much as we would love to do that, say, that's all I have to do, I don't think it's realistic. And Paul's going to step in, the writer of 1 Corinthians, say, listen, you can't uncomplicate your life, but what you can do is uncomplicate your approach to life. And that's the way he ends. And he ends and he talks, it's talking about marriage, but if we just focus in on marriage and singleness, I think we miss the reality of this passage. Turn with me, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 35. We've been in this chapter, we've, what we've done for these weeks is just taken one chapter of the Bible and just kind of worked down through and said, you know, what is, what is this, um, what is here for us? And We're going to kind of wrap, bring this home. The chapter goes uh, through verse 40. Pastor Chris covered verses 36 and 40 two weeks ago. We brought them in with an earlier uh, week. Page 953, and the Bible's there in the seats in front of you. I'd also mention page 83 for those of you who have your known journal. Now, what we've been doing uh, throughout this series, I love that I've had some come up and thank me for this. Um, We've been celebrating singleness. One of the things you've heard us say at different times throughout this series is, man, to be single is a really good thing. Now, the question becomes why. Why is single a good thing? Well, this morning, it, it gets answered with an exclamation point. And long story short is when you're single, the reality is some of these hats come off the tree. They just push off the table. If you're single, you aren't wearing a spouse hat, a husband or wife hat. You're likely not wearing a, a, a mother or a father hat. There's other realities, so that's kind of what we step into. Now, the question I want to ask, though, as you read, we're going to read through this, and we're going to take this passage at face value, yet at face value, you can begin to wonder, well, wait a minute, so single people are more devoted to God? Is that really what Paul's saying? So, so you're saying if I'm married, I'm not as effective and efficient for my creator as what my single friends are? And I'm going to say, I'm going to answer it for you now, but wrestle with this. I'm going to say, no, it's not what the passage is saying. It looks like that at face value. I think the more you wrestle with what the writer is saying, Paul, I think the solution here actually leads to strong marriage and a phenomenal home. I think sometimes we just read it and say, oh, got to stay single so I can do more for God. Ah, 
I'm not sure that's what's being said here. That said, let's look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, now. So there's a transition. So we've been talking about those who have been married and divorced and, and those who have been sexually active. And what do we do with all this? The eggs are scrambled. Now there's this transition regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married. The better translation there is now, and some of you have it. If you have a different translation, I'm reading out of the New Living. I think the NIV says it this way. I think the ESV, I think, says it this way. It says actually now to virgins. The Greek word, the word translated here is actually better translated now to virgins, those who have never had any sexual experience, who are single and have never encountered sex sex in any way. So now regarding your question about young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted and I will share it with you. So I pause here. I want to say, well, what is he saying? I don't have a command from the Lord. Well, then why are you giving it to us, Paul? Like, why is it in the scriptures, right? That can begin to be asked. Pastor Chris, two weeks ago, did a phenomenal job answering this question when he said what he's really saying is Paul, Paul is saying Jesus himself has never directly spoken to these things. And when you think about what Jesus, Jesus talks about marriage. And he says in, he says in the, in the uh, writings of Matthew, he says, listen, for you to, to, um, to divorce your spouse and go ahead and get remarried, he said, you're committing adultery. And he says, unless their spouse has been unfaithful to you, this is the way Jesus says it. And so Jesus speaks a lot to this subject. So what Paul is really saying, and Chris did a great job about this, go back and grab his message two weeks ago. So what he's really saying is Jesus never really outright direct directly spoke about this, but I have the spirit in me, and let me tell you what I think is the best way to go. Verse 26, because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. Now, the New Living, if you have the New Living translation that I'm reading out, you see a little asterisk after present crisis, you can say, no, wait a minute, what crisis? What's going on? What, what is he talking about? Well, if you go down to the bottom thing, the Greek word could actually be better, I think it is probably better rendered, is the pressures of life. I think that parallels with us what we open up with. Because of the pressures of life, because of all the hats that you have to wear, because of all the responsibility that presses in on you, I would suggest it is best for you to remain single. If you're a single virgin, stay that way is the best way to go because of the pressures of life. Now, you say, well, why, Paul? Well, here he's going to kind of begin to unpack it. Um, He says, okay, if you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. Some of you are going, all right, I should stay single. Here we go. I'm out of this thing, right? Hey, there's my, there's my ticket out. He's saying, no, no, no. Do not end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. So it's clearly saying marriage is not bad. Marriage is actually a good thing. He says that in other places in his writing. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time, now, this is probably one of the best marriage verses in the Bible, Sincerely, I mean this. But we never preach on this verse. I don't think I've ever been to a wedding that's used this as the foundation text for the wedding. But I think it is probably the best marriage verse of the Bible. Here it goes. Let me read it. However, those who get married at this time, if you're married, we put your hand up. Let's go ahead. Be brave. Own it, right? Look, at, look around the room. Keep your hands up. Look around the room. It's the majority of the room, right? Now, here's what it says. However, those who get married at this time will have what? Some of you go, Amen. And I am trying to spare you those problems. Now, if you're here with your spouse, take a look at them. Get a good look. Get a good look. Look at them in the eyes. And tell them you're a problem. 
Go ahead, just tell them. Hopefully they can own it. Say, you are a problem. Now, my wife is sitting over here, so there we go. You're a problem, right? (laughs) So Paul is saying something about marriage and the pressures of this life, marriage seems to exacerbate it, makes it worse. So what's he really saying? Well, let's push into this. Verse 29. Verse 29. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So he has this eternal perspective. He understands. We talked about this last week. Life is short. Life is a vapor. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. And the New Living does a translation of this. Uh, kind of, they, they kind of interpret what the, the passage really says. Those of you who are married should live as though you're not married. What? 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 That's really, what the, that's really what the Greek translates. Those of you who are married should live as though you're not married. Why? Because the time is short. Now, one of the things I want to pause here and say this. The days are long if you're in marriage. And if you're a mom or a dad. The days are long. But the older I get, I realize the years are oh so short. Last night we went out as a family. We had a long, hard week. A really long, hard week. Um, a lot happening with, um, anyway, a lot happening with Tanya and her family and some things that came out this week and a long, hard week. And last night, we just said as a family, let's just go out and have some fun. So we went out to Sky Zone and jumped around, did everything I can not to get injured and, and have more surgery. Um, had a good time and we, <laughs> we um, sitting there to have dinner when we're all done and I had to get my, someone ask a question. I get my phone out and um, I had a find of my kids wanted to see a picture. So I opened up Facebook to find this picture. When I opened it up, you know how Facebook runs that history, those, those things from way back. So here I have a picture from only four years ago of my oldest daughter, who's now 12, sitting on Santa's lap. And when you capture these pictures, you guys have been here, right? You say, oh, my goodness, four years. Where has the time gone? Now, we sit in life, and we ache, and we have, as Paul says, we have our problems in marriage. We have our troubles. Man, time is so short. And the more I live, I realize these days are long, but, man, don't miss the opportunity. Live in the moment because, the boy, the years are short. Now, so he says this thing, and so what does he really mean? So if you're married, live as though you're not. Paul, come on. Now, verse 30. If you're weeping, again, the New Living translates this a little bit for us to make it a little more readable. But it basically says, if you're weeping, live as though you're not. So if you're grieving this morning, and some of you are grieving, live as though you're not grieving. And he goes on to say, and it says, if you rejoice, the same thing. And if you buy things, don't be absorbed by, don't be absorbed by this weeping and the joy of the possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. This is beginning to give the key of what Paul is driving at. So is he really saying the best thing to do is stay single because singles can do more for God? Well, maybe not because I think here's our first clue. I don't want you to be attached to this world. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. In other words, don't complicate life by holding on to something that will soon pass away. And we do this all the time. We grab hold of our jobs, we grab hold of our marriages, we grab hold of our things, we grab hold of our houses, we grab hold of our kids, and we cling to them. And Paul's saying, open your hand up. Time is moving fast, and it's going to soon pass. 
And you don't live for these things. It's really what's going on. Look at verse 32. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. Now, he's going to talk about this single married dynamic. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the, Lord's, doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about how her earthly, about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband, right? So, so it's beginning to step into this and say, listen, if you're married, you have some concerns of life. And you begin to focus on those concerns of life. And how do I please my husband? How do I please my wife? But now look at verse 35. I think 35 is the key to the entire section. So is Paul really saying, is Paul really saying if you're single, you can, you can really honor God more than your married counterparts? Is that really what he's saying? Look at verse 35. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. Key, key phrase. I'm not trying to put more law on you. I'm not trying to say, okay, here's how it's got to be. Rather, what does he say? I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So he's saying, I want you, I want you to step in and serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with as few distractions as possible. Now, here's why I, I, I want to push in on this reality. Um, I began, a simple reading of this passage over the years has always led me to say, well, if you're single, you're going to get more done for God. It's a whole lot easier. For example, if you're single and you feel compelled to give money to an organization that really tugs at your heart or give money to another family that you say, I really want to step in and help. If you're married, what do you have to do? What should you do? Let me say it that way. Some of you end up in some of you end up in the marriage counseling room because you don't do this. But what should you do? You should have a committee meeting. Right? Sit down with husband or wife. Maybe even sit down with your family and bring them in on it. And say, I feel led of the Lord to give here. And what if your spouse says to you, Well, I don't? What do you do? Now, if you're single, what do you have to do if you feel led to give money? You just go give money. Now, when you're married, let me give you another assessment. When you're married, let's say a friend calls you up and says, hey, I really need help moving this week. And this is a friend that you work with, you've been sharing Jesus with, you love on. And you're like, man, this is a great opportunity to go help my friend. What better you do before you just say, yeah, I'll see you Saturday at 9 a.m.? What should you be doing? Again, some of you don't do this, and this is why your marriage may struggle a little. But what should you be doing? Hey, honey, what do we got in the family calendar this week? And what if your wife or your husband says to you, well, hey, I haven't seen you for the last three weeks, and I was really planning on some time for you to get some things done around the house. What do you do? So what Paul is saying is if you're single, you don't have any of this to deal with. But is he saying if you're married, you're not as effective for Christ? Now, I said a few weeks ago, sometimes we disconnect Christianity from reality. And I think this is one of the places where the church has done it. Because here's my reality. I'm not going to speak to yours, but I'm going to talk about my reality. If I had remained single, I would not be your pastor. Do you know why? I would be a jerk. My wife is going to say amen. (laughs) 
I, I, I chipped those rough edges off, and I'm proud of it. Now, here's why. When I got married, someone shared with me, Adam, when you get married, you're going to discover one thing. You're going to discover how selfish you have been. Because when you were single, who did you have to think about all the time? You. Like just the bedtime routine, sharing a bathroom. Do I go to bed without them? Or when you were single, it's just I got to brush my teeth, take my contacts out, take a shower, get in bed, and I don't have anyone else to think about. When you get married, suddenly there's this other person in your life that suddenly expects you need to please. I mean, that's what the passage says. But when you get married, you realize how selfish you are. This, this friend also said to me, and Adam, wait until you have kids. Because you're going to only realize how selfish you are. You're going to realize how utterly selfish you are. So here's what I've learned. Marriage has made me a much better version of me. I'm so thankful for my wife. I don't begrudge her or push back on what she's pushed in on. It has made me a much better effective version of me. That if I were a single pastor, whoo, I would have a propensity to run people over and leave quite a wake behind me because we're on a mission, guys. Some of you go, well, you do that now, Adam. Well, I'm <laughs> imagine single. Imagine without the, the, the grace of a marriage. So I step into this passage and I say, so what is Paul really saying? What is Paul really saying? And I began to press with this, and I think verse 35 is the, the absolute exclamation point. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restriction on you. I want you to do whatever, what, will help you serve the Lord best. I think Paul is dealing with the most common subject of the Bible. It's the first command of the Ten Commandments. Some of you are the first, the Ten Commandments memorized. What is the first commandment? You should have no other, what, God's before you. Jesus Christ comes along, and Jesus Christ labels something the greatest commandment. He gets questioned, hey, hey, Jesus, can you boil the whole law down to one commandment? And he says, yeah, actually, I can, and here's what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. All of the commandments hang on this one commandment. Paul is driving at that. Paul is going at that. Paul is saying, listen, this is about idolatry. Now, here's what idolatry is. When I say idolatry, you think, I don't worship idols. Well, here's what idolatry is. I love this definition. Building your entire life on an incomplete joy. In other words, taking the joys of life, taking the things that make you really happy, taking the things that bring you satisfaction and are designed to bring you satisfaction, taking the things that bring you meaning and significance in life and making them the complete thing and saying that is what's going to give me total life. Now, every human heart in this room Every human heart must live for something. That's how you were made. Something must capture your imagination. Something must capture your heart, your allegiance, and your hope. Paul, in writing in Romans chapter 1, the same guy who wrote Romans chapter 1, says we have this propensity, though. We're made to worship things, but we have this propensity. We're made to, no, I'm sorry, we're made to worship God, but we have this propensity to switch it and change it. Instead of worshiping God, we begin to worship his creation. 
I think what Paul is really dealing with is this, Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I love this verse. This is, in essence, what Paul is saying. Don't live for your wife. Don't live for your husband. Don't live for your kids. Don't live for any of that. I want you to seek the kingdom of God. Verse 35 clearly says it. I want you to live for him, and I want you to be most effective in doing that. So seek first the kingdom of God. Above all else, and live righteously. And that's kind of so you seek God, you're going to drive the way that you live, and He will give you everything you need. And what ends up happening, we get things out of order. And we begin to live for the everything and think, well, I'll tag this in. And it messes it all up. Now, I think this is in this chapter on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, because there is nothing quite like love relationships to steal our heart from God. The scriptures say, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But often we turn that good thing into a God thing. We live empty inside. We have fears and an inner barrenness that makes love an absolute narcotic that we are addicted to. We need it. And why I say this is, you think about most love songs, Think about your favorite love songs. But I don't say this to condemn the music. I think the music has captured a truth. Most love songs, the really good ones, are actually worship songs. You are my all in all. You are all I need. I live for you. You mean, think about the lines in our love songs. See, the marriage relationship, if you go over to Ephesians chapter 5, don't turn there now, read it this week. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 5, where the same writer describes marriage, he goes back to Genesis, the beginning of time, and he says, God has made marriage. God designed marriage. And marriage is the final act of his creation. It's kind of like an artist, and it's like his crescendo. It's like his, his, his most masterful, look at this, I've made man, I've made woman, I'm going to put them together in marriage. And this is a beautiful thing. And then he comes to Ephesians 5 and he says, but this thing is a representation of the thing. And the the thing is a relationship that God wants with you. Marriage pictures and marries and mirrors that. So it's no mistake why I think it, it makes sense why we flip this. And we begin to live for our spouses as though it's going to complete us. I want to show you a clip. Um, any of you watching Million Little Things this season? It's a brand new show that hit, um, I think it's on ABC. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to get back on the, on the, trying to get riding bike again, trying to get my health, uh, just, just trying to get back on the wagon, if you will. And so I love it because I, I, one of the things I love is I get to sit there and catch up on shows that I never get to watch otherwise. So one of the things I, I kind of binged on on the bike was this show, Million Little Things. Uh, if the story opens up, the, the show opens up, if you're not familiar with it, um, there are these four friends, and then some of them are married and one of them single, and, and one of the friends, kind of the, the center pin, the, 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 the kind of the center of all four, commits suicide in the very first episode. So then it's, the whole show spins out of that with all the other friends going, well, what happened? What, what was, and it begins to talk about the, what happens when you keep secrets and about the, the beauty of relationships and the struggles of marriage. And, and it begins to spin all that. Well, one of the friends, his name is Rome. You're going to see Rome in this scene. Rome struggles deeply with depression and, and actually made an attempt on his own life that his wife did not know about. He wrote a note He ultimately chose to spit the pills out of his mouth. He crumbled the note up and threw it away. His wife finds the note. And that's what you see in this scene. So go ahead and watch this scene. 
Why do I show you that clip? First, I want to say about that clip, depression is very real. Well, you know, in the story of Rome, if you watch the show, Rome's dad dealt with it, and it's kind of moved through the family, and it's very real. But I want to just say this. If it's something that you struggle with, don't hide it. Don't be ashamed of it. Reach out for help. But I'll tell you where the help is not going to come. What his wife said to him. What did she say? You are my life. What does that do to Rome? It puts so much pressure in his shoulders. In other words, what she is ascribing to him is a godlike status. Now, I show this clip because we watch this show. I watch this show, and I'm on my bike. You know, Steve, I'm riding bike along, and I'm like, oh, I'm crying all over the place. Praise God my kids aren't coming downstairs because I'm like, I'm not going to explain this to them because this is awful, right? So it moves us because it's the human struggle. It's the human struggle, and it moves me. But, man, it's what we do in our relationships, and I think that's what Paul's going after. Your husband and your wife cannot satisfy your inner barrenness. Only one person can, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you cannot put the weight of Jesus on your spouse. I think that's what Paul's going after. We get into marriage because we're looking for a solution. And that spins stuff out of control in a hurry. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to serve God. Here's the other thing I'd say. Sometimes getting your heart's desire. So, so I, I, I talk to single people at times and say this. I want to be married so bad. And I say, you know what? Sometimes getting your heart's desire is the worst thing that can happen to you. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods. I think if you have not read this book, this, I, I know I'm a reader and I love books. This is a little tiny book, and it unpacks this principle of idolatry in a way that I've never seen anyone do it. Um, and it's very simple. And in his book, he tells the story of a, of, a, of a lady who desperately wanted to get married and have kids. And her biological clock is ticking. She's moving into her 30s. She's like, I want to get married. i got to get married. She finally meets the guy. Uh, they, they're still moving along. And suddenly, we can't have kids. So she's like grieving this. And I want kids so bad. I want kids so bad. And so they begin to work through things. And they ultimately end up having children. But here's what happened. She was so overwhelming to her family because she was driven to give her kids the perfect life that it made it impossible for her to enjoy the moment and enjoy them. He tells a story how she became very overprotective, the helicopter mom, if you will. She was full of fear and anxiety, and she worked so hard to ultimately it was spilled out as control for her kids. And as her kids grew, they began to manifest all kinds of emotional brokenness and struggle. Why? Because somewhere deep in her heart, her desire was not just to have kids to the glory of God. It was to have kids to satisfy something in her. And they were never going to fully satisfy, ever. Your wife, your husband, your children were not designed for that. And I think that's what Paul's coming after. Here's why I say that. 1 Corinthians, oops, sorry, let me back up. 1 Corinthians 10.31, I don't have it in there. So 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. Let me read it to you. Just, just a few pages over from where we're at. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So Paul's saying, I don't think Paul, if Paul just a few chapters later says, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God, he would not hear in chapter 7 saying, well, you can't live for the glory of God. So when he says, well, when you have a husband, you have a wife, you get wrapped up with these earthly concerns. I don't think what he's saying is it's not possible to do those earthly concerns to the glory of God because just two, three chapters later, he's saying whether you eat or drink, the average, everyday, mundane of life, do it for the glory of God. So how do you do it? Well, let's talk about that briefly, and then we'll bring this thing to a close. How do you do it? How do you do this thing? How do you live for the glory of God? See, raising kids to God's glory, being single to God's glory. How do I do this? Well, from my young ages, I mean, I'm talking, I look around the room, I see kids in here, teenagers, that that when I began to hear this for the very first time, and I began to hear, this is how you do it. You say, okay, set your priorities. This is kind of a business modeled thing. You know, you've got to force rank your, your priorities and your values. And so, so force rank it. What's going to be at the top? What's going to be God? And then you're going to put yourself. And you say, well, that's kind of selfish. Well, it's not. Think about the airplane. When the airplane's going to, I mean, when they do a little talk and the mask's going to drop, what do they tell you to do before they give it to, they say, hey, put the mask on yourself before you give it to your kid. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your children. So it's God. It's your relationship with him. It's, it's your spouse. If you're married, your kids, your career, and on down the list it goes. Now, the problem with this is, I, as I grew, I'm like, yeah, that's so good. But there's a problem. What do you do when you got to work 80 weeks, 80 hours a week? Because you have to do it. You know what I did? I lived with a lot of guilt. Oh my goodness, I'm giving all this time to my job, but I really say God is number one. And I really say my spouse is more important than my job, but I'm putting in 80 hours. And if I don't put in 80 hours, I'm going to get fired. And then I'm not going to be able to take care of my spouse because I'm going to, oh my goodness, and all this guilt heaped on. So I'm like, this doesn't work. So a pastor, a friend of mine said, Adam, forget that order. Look at life like seasons. So right now you're in a season, this was when I was at Super Value, food distribution. I was putting in 60, 70 hours some weeks, and I had no say on it. And they're like, this is what you got to do. If you don't want it, take a hike. And so he says, you got this season. So right now you're maybe in the winter season. That's the season that you're in. But I, the problem clicked with me for this. I'm like, well, okay, but I seem to be living in this season. How do I know when this season ends? How do I get back to this season? I'm, I'm like, that's a really cool analogy, and it alleviates my guilt, but it doesn't solve my problem. So the counselor I was sitting with during that season said to me, well, Adam, you got to look at balance. Life is about balance. And he ultimately said, yes, balance will find itself. I love that in physics. That's kind of very true. And balance will ultimately find itself. And so he says, so you've got your job pressures pushing down. You've got your family pressures pushing down. And often what we do is we say, oh, my goodness, I'm working 80 hours a week and I'm giving myself to my job. So I've got to come over here and give 81 hours to my family. Well, now I've got 161 hours. Well, you do the math. When am I going to sleep? How do you balance that? So he said to me, this was such a gift. And all of these models I'm giving you, I'm a picture guy. I like to, it helps me. So that's why I'm giving them to you. All of them have truth in them. All of them are good, but all of them are incomplete. He says, well, Adam, balance doesn't always happen by pushing on the ends of the seesaw. What else can you do to balance it? Slide the fulcrum. So if you move the fulcrum, it's going to automatically balance. So I said, so what's the fulcrum? He said, it's God. Live to his glory. Move him, move him over to where the pressure is. Okay. I wrote it in my journal. I went home and prayed about it. I start talking about it. I start living with my wife and my job at Super Value. And I'm thinking, well, how do you do that? 
Well, I think the answer is in verse 35. I am saying this for your own good in this whole section. I'm saying everything I've said to you for your own good. This is, I want to show it to you out of the NIV. I'm saying that of your own good, not to restrict you, not to add more law, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. I love this picture. Last week I referenced the verse about fixing your eyes on Jesus, and we talk about fixing your eyes on Jesus and, and, and fix our eyes on Jesus. Pastor Chris came on stage and so beautifully ended our service and said, man, I challenge this you this week to fix your eyes on Jesus. But I really look at that and I say, that's not possible 24-7. You know Why? Because I got a phone call Sunday night that radically altered my week that required me to fix my eyes on some things this week that I had to take care of. I've got a son playing a sport right now, and I've got to begin to alter my schedule to make sure the carpool works out and I'm getting home at work at the right time and all that. I've got to alter some things. Well, though it's not possible fully to fix my eyes, you know what it is possible to live with? Undivided devotion. Undivided devotion is a little different than undivided attention. Does that make sense? I can be fully devoted to something, though not giving it my full attention at that moment. So this is where I began to think of this word picture. This came to me this week. I think this is how you live like this. You put Jesus right in the middle. It's like a universe. And everything in your life, so you begin to put all your priorities, my spouse, my career, me as a son of God, me as a son in my family, me as a father, all begin to spin if I keep him center, fully devoted to him. So I begin to ask the question, as I take the hat from the tree and say, okay, this week, I need to give some attention to this thing this week. This is the thing I'm going to focus on. I'm beginning to ask, why am I putting the hat on? Well, I'm putting the hat on this week. How does this hat further my devotion? How does this hat further my glory to God? You know, the primary calling of life, I get around Christian circles, and I get a little nervous at times because I hear Christians talk like the primary calling in life is to have a great marriage and a great family. That is not your primary calling in life. The Christian church, I believe, in the West has made family and marriage an idol. We live for that. If I have a good marriage and I have a good family, I've arrived as a Christian. And I think Paul is saying, no, you haven't. You actually have gone the other direction because it is not the thing of life. It actually may distract you from the center. Life is not about your job. Life is not about how you provide or how you grow your business or grow your church or how many likes and followers you have on social media. Life is not about your kids and their schooling and their grades. Life is not about your spouse and the date you're going to go on or the, the trip you're going to take. or the. It's not about those things. Paul says, look at verse 35. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restriction on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. So as I put this hat on, how is it helping me to serve the Lord? Keep that at the center of all that I do. So as I step in then, as I step into to fulfilling my carpool duty, how is it helping me serve the Lord? As I step into a tight, difficult parenting moment, how is it helping me serve the Lord? As I step into something in marriage, how is it helping me to serve the Lord? I think one of the greatest ironies of sin is that when humans try to become more than humans, human, 
In other words, they try to become like God, to grab hold of things that are God-like. They fall to become lower than human beings. Marriage is complicated. Paul says it. You're going to have problems. And we make it all the more complicated when we make marriage the thing. The thing. Marriage isn't the thing. So when you spend time with your kids, or how do you spend time with your kids to further God's glory? As I close this thing, as I think about this, idols, idols are so tricky to spot. Do you know why? Are kids a good thing? Oh, they're phenomenal. I love my kids. But they're not the thing. Most of the idols that you live for are good things. Matter of fact, let me rephrase it. They're great things. But we're not paying attention to the desires of our heart. And we're not really, really asking the hard questions and we begin to live for those things and those that will shipwreck us every time. There's one sin that God cannot overpower. You know what it is? There's one sin that God cannot overpower that he says in Scripture. He actually resists it, it says. He pushes against it. Pride. Where I see pride most is when we can't confess. God cannot overpower an unconfessed sin. And oftentimes we don't confess this sin because we don't see it because it's wrapped up in good things. Can I say this, church? When you get acclimated into the church world, we begin to think of sin as all the darkness. And we don't pay attention to the goodness. It's often the goodness that pulls me away from Jesus quicker and faster. I have a desire to live for him. I see darkness and want to run from it. That's really often not a Christian's problem. Often a Christian struggles with the goodness of life, the gifts of life. And we begin to grab hold of it and close our hands. And Paul says, listen, grieve, but don't grieve like it's the end because there's more to life. Have joy. But don't grab hold of its life. He says, hey, I love that beautiful picture. Let go of, the, of these things. Live as if Jesus were the center of your world, not just first on your list. Or the way Chris Brown, a pastor out in San Diego, says it, he says, man, our position in heaven should always trump our place in life. I love that picture. So we're going to do this morning to end this message. Um, I've got these baskets down here. They've got a little toy compass in. Now, I'm going to give this disclaimer. I'm going to ask you to come up and grab a compass in a minute. This compass, here's a little, here's our, our legal warning, fine print in the bottom of the screen. This compass is not going to get you out of the woods for what it's worth. It's going to take you deeper in, I promise. <laughs> but here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. The team's going to come out and lead us in a song. I want us to ask you is we're going to stand and sing that song in a minute. I'm going to ask you to take some time to devote yourself afresh this morning. This is for all of us. Just get out of your seat to walk up and grab a compass and say, you know why I'm grabbing this compass is because I want Jesus to be true north. I want him to be at the center of my life. I want to make sure that my life, as it spins, it's spinning around him. As all these plates are spinning, I wear all these hats. I'm wearing them to his glory. That's what uncomplicates life. What uncomplicates the approach. But see, here's the thing about a compass. A compass is only useful if you what? Use it, right? That's, that's how it works. 
So I want to challenge you to just kind of say, okay, afresh this morning, God, I'm just going to, we need to do this every now and then. This is why I'm asking you to do it. Every now and then we got to just stand up and have a fresh and say, you know what, God? Yes, you are true north. Yes, I am going to be fully devoted to you afresh. I'm going to rekindle that and step into that. So I want to give you the compass. Take it home just for a week. You don't need to keep it if your wife's, uh, my wife cleaned our, our, um, our bedroom yesterday. And my, she has this little thing with me that I, I just collect things. And they, they kind of like build up, right? And, and it's like time to move stuff off. So, so those of you who do that, don't hang on to this for a year. I mean, this, keep it for the week. Set it somewhere this week where all week long you can just begin to press into this principle. Am I fully devoted devoted to my God? Am I truly pointing my life true north? Set it there in your bathroom, set it up by your kitchen sink, maybe in your console, in your car, at desk at work, and just say, I'm going to remind myself each time I see it to just stop in afresh and say, as I'm doing this daily task right now, is God center in my life? Am I doing it for his glory? Again, would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. The team's going to sing, and as they're singing, come on up and grab a compass. Father, thank you so much uh, for Jesus. Thank you for this passage in 1 Corinthians, God, this whole chapter in marriage and singleness that we've wrestled with over the last couple weeks. God, man, we stepped, we, we had quite a journey. Talked about sex and sexual brokenness and divorce and remarriage and eggs that get scrambled and what do we do with the mess and the pain and the heartache. And God, man, thank you for your guidance that you've given us in Scripture. God, I love how this chapter ends with this this concept and this principle of live, live, serving the Lord, fully devoted. And God, sometimes our, our relationships take us from that. We begin to give of our energy and our time to our wife and our kids and our husband and our kids and our, our moms and our dads, and we, we begin to give it to these relationships to God, and you're saying, man, those relationships are so important and so good but give your time and energy to me. Make sure I'm at the center of your world. God, thank you for that challenge. I pray now as we sing this final song and, and, and wrap this series up, God, I just pray this is a special moment of, for some in this room. Maybe, it's, maybe, this is a, maybe this is a watershed moment for some here. God, where they're just, the light bulb went on this morning in a, in a big way, and they're saying, yeah, this is why my life has been such a mess and so much pain. And God, I love that thought. God, as we step forward, some of us have some things to confess. As we're walking forward, maybe if those things have impressed in on us, would we do that? God, I love the passage. If we're faithful, God, God, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God, you love us. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.